Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Today is a day for you to make things happen, for you to discover some new secrets and to make just a needlepoint shift. You know, we don't have to make huge changes. A lot of times we put so much pressure on ourselves to make giant changes that we never make any change at all because we're so overwhelmed by the change we're trying to make. And so today, we just want to make it happen in a very small way. So thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for the time that you've taken out of your busy schedules. I know as a thriving entrepreneur, there are a lot of things you've got going on. And I appreciate you taking some time out to just invest in you and to find ways that you can live as a thriving entrepreneur. How can you have your mind, your body, and your spirit all in line together to be able to really live your optimum, your best life, to be the best version of yourself. Because at the end of the day, you know, really, if we think about it, that's more than anything else, the secret behind thriving as an entrepreneur, and that is really being invested in ourselves, really taking the time out to you know, to learn, to grow, to be more, to do more, to, um, you know, to share our, our struggles and victories, but then to also, uh, you know, find ways to overcome, find ways to grow. Um, again, as I said, you know, right at the top, it's about making it happen in a small way, about a needlepoint shift. Um, you know, if you're driving down the road, um, you know, and you're on one of the main highways and you're driving, you know, whatever, 70, 75 miles an hour, um, you know, the difference between, say, 69 and 70 miles an hour doesn't really probably feel a lot different. Um, it doesn't probably look a lot different. Um, but yet, that one mile an hour, if you expand that, over time, over days, if you were to drive nonstop, um, I don't know how you do that without sleep, but anyway, that's a whole different story. If you were to drive nonstop, round and round and round the world, over and over again, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles, over hundreds of thousands of miles, that one mile an hour would compound to the point where it would take you days, weeks, months extra to be able to go the same distance. Um, and that's not my way in any way of encouraging you that, well, yeah, it's just okay, just break the speed limit because you'll get there faster. Um, because in short trips, actually, statistically speaking, the difference between a person who's speeding five miles an hour faster than the speed limit and a person going the speed limit is they get there like 30 seconds sooner. So it, it doesn't have a significant difference. But when we're talking about our lives, you're talking about the span of your whole life and you're talking about your momentum as a person. 
that needlepoint shift is enormous. It's huge. It allows you the capability to show up at the destiny that was meant for you sooner, quicker, faster. And that's what all of us want. Um, you know, a lot of times the shortcut is kind of the long cut, I guess is probably the best way of saying it. It doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't take you away from things, but in the end of the day, it gets you to where you're going quicker. I'm reminded of uh, the quote by Abraham Lincoln um, that if I have an hour to chop down a tree, I'm going to take the first, um, you know, 50 minutes and I'm going to sharpen the axe. Um, and, and that's not an exact quote. I forget exactly how much time he spent. But the first part is making sure that you have a sharp axe. Because then the number of times that you have to swing at the tree. And Abraham Lincoln learned that, uh, you know, literally chopping down trees, uh, lots and lots and lots of them. So um, he understood the concept of over the course of a whole day of chopping down trees, always making sure your axe is sharp so that it cuts in and it makes the least number of times you have to swing at the tree, it makes a huge amount of difference both in your production as well as in your overall exhaustion level by the end of the day when we're chopping at something with a dull blade. Um, and so that's the whole concept behind what we want to do each time we get together is just, you know, just make that needlepoint shift. Just think of this as a, a little bit of time out of your day to sharpen the axe, to listen to the messages from our best-selling authors and our other guests that are on the show that help you be able to just take a step in the right direction. What if you did one thing health-wise better today, this week. Um, you know, not the whole thing. Uh, I know a lot of you that know me well know that, you know, I struggle with my weight. Um, and the whole concept of looking at the enormity of the amount of weight I have to lose um, is, it's overwhelming. Um, it's real good uh, way to completely shut me down is if we start looking at the, the scale overall and how many total pounds we have to lose. But to be able to make a decision in this moment, to be able to say, you know, um, and now I'm like uh, three years in or so, maybe it's almost four now, um, of not having soda. And, um, you know, it was huge at the beginning. I was a giant Mountain Dew addict. And and to be able to just not have cut Mountain Dew completely out of my life, um, even when I see the commercials, even all that, just no, you know, it's just, it's non-negotiable. And uh, it's a, for people who don't have that as an issue, it's not even an issue, you know. And for people who that was an easy transition for them, you know, it becomes one of those kind of things where they don't maybe totally understand, but... It's a small decision that has enormity of impact on us. And, you know, so that's the kind of things we can do in everything in our day, in our life. Um, we can make it happen. We have within us the ability to be able to make things happen, to have action that causes a result 
And I want you to hear that word because I almost said an action that causes a reaction, but I thought for a second and I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about reaction because a reaction is an uncontrolled response to an action. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Um, you know, if you hit something on the left side, it's going to move to the right, that kind of thing. That's a reaction. But a result is an intentional move. It, it still has the action part of it, but the action is on purpose to move to a specified result. Um, if any of you have ever played pool, uh, I... As a, as a young young person, I was probably in 5th or 6th grade, probably 5th and 6th grade now that I think about it. The next door neighbor was this wonderful old, older gentleman who was, I don't know if they have grandmasters or whatever, but the guy was good at playing pool. I mean, like, amazing. Um, when he was teaching me how to play pool, literally he would have to decide when he was going to not make a shot, I suppose is the best way of saying it, to give me a turn. Because I saw him, you know, like, run the table multiple times over. I don't know if you've ever played point pool, but, you know, you you uh, knock the balls in and you have to get to, like, 50 times that you've locked the ball in. Um, and uh, when you get down to one plus the cue ball on the table, you put the rest of them you know, back in, and, and I saw him go, you know, zero to 50, and, you know, do that like three times in a row, just because as a fifth grader, you know, I didn't really understand, uh, you know, how good it was, or, you know, that it wasn't luck or anything like that, and so, you know, I asked him, and, and he showed me, and, and it was amazing, um, but what I learned from him, and the reason why I bring that up is because an action you can just hit the ball you know you hit it on this side it goes that way it hits the other ball you know the ball goes in um, and a lot of times for a lot of us um, you know that's that's how we play pool you know I know the ball's in that general direction and I know that I need to hit the, the cue ball that way and boom um, but he had the way of having the action deliver exactly the result he wanted. He knew how to bank it off the edge so that it hit it just right and how to put the right amount of uh, power and speed behind it so that the cue ball lands where he wanted it next. And he was thinking about the next shot, four, five, six, eight, ten shots ahead. Um, you know, if you've ever seen a grandmaster play chess, they do the same thing, you know. They're not just simply moving a pawn forward, but they're thinking of, you know, all the moves they're making and the move that the person that they're playing against can make and what their response to that is. And that's what I mean when I talk about an action that produces a result. It's an on-purpose action that takes the variables in mind and then takes the shot, which still causes a reaction, but it causes a very specific reaction that gives a result that's impactful and powerful. And that's what I really want you to listen for today is, what's the little thing, little needle point shift? You know, what is the one mile an hour difference that I can make today as I learn from the best-selling authors that I'm going to present to you today 
how I can really make it happen in my own life. I hope that really will be something that you can grab a hold of today because I know that if you do and if you embrace it, it will help you live as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Eve. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. So let's jump right into it. Let's start talking about ways that you can make it happen in your life, that you can make that needle point shift just a little bit. You don't have to change the whole universe of your life or any of that kind of stuff. What is just some little things that you can do today that you can start taking action on right now that could help you get to where you're going and maybe get there just a little bit, maybe even a whole lot sooner quicker and faster. Doesn't that sound like a great thing to do? So let's jump right into it and let's talk about possibility. What are the things that are possible in your life? Well, let's find out. Today, let's talk with best-selling author Kay Monique as we talk about her book, Make It Happen. Hi, Monique. How are, how are you today? I'm well, Steve. How are you? And it's important to let people know if they're looking up your book, uh, your book is under the letter K and the last name Monique, M-O-N-E-A-K. Yes. Find you on Amazon. All right. So let's talk a little bit about you being the possibility powerhouse. I want to hear more about that. <laughs> well, I came up with that um, that name a few years ago um, because when you're coaching people and helping them, we go through all type of coach titles, and that one just kind of stuck with me for a while. I have, I believe, I have a gift. I believe God has graced me to hear people's ideas and sit with them and talk about um, what they like to do. And help them come up with unique, like, custom plans to get it done. Because sometimes people um, just get a little stuck and feel like it's harder than it has to be to actually get into action. And so, oh, my God, uh, people would just keep saying, I had no idea that was possible. I mean, this is really possible. So it just kind of stuck being a possibility powerhouse because I feel like once people know what's possible for them, they spring into action. As soon as you find out, you know, you meet the criteria or you qualify or you can do it, um, you get moving. 
possibility. It all has to start from the concept of being able to conceive and believe it. Yes. So let's talk about making it happen. What is the difference between somebody who wants something to happen and somebody who makes it happen? I believe that the difference um, between those two people um, is the person who makes it happen has finally decided. That person has finally reached the point of um, what I talk about in the book is desperation. And sometimes when we hear the word desperation, Steve, we think that that's a negative thing. We think that um, it's something bad. But I feel like once you reach a desperate place in your life, a desperate place to see change, a desperate place to walk in purpose, um, when you get to desperate, that's where you meet your boldness and your courage to just leap into action. Because the difference between someone who's wanting to do it and someone that's actually doing it is that they're in action. And so when you get desperate, you you, you get bold, you forget about what people are going to think, what they're going to say. You could care less because you so want to walk in uh, what's for you. You so want to have more and do more and be more. You have some really powerful words that are on the back of this book. In fact, I'm going to read them. Um, spark a fire that will consume all your feelings of being stuck, frustrated, and inadequate. I love that word, consumed in fire, all of those feelings. So, um, you know, let's talk a little bit first about what do you think it is that, that gets and keeps people stuck? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I apologize. What is it that you think it is that, uh, you know, kind of gets people and keeps people in that stuck place? Oh, wow. Um, usually when I talk to people, whether it's at work, whether it's in the ministry, um, whether I'm coaching with them, it's usually their mindset or what they feel people will say. Those are the two most common things I run into. It's either how they're thinking. Or, um, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about what people think. We want to be careful about our, our reputation and our impression that we make on people in the marketplace and in the ministry. But then there is a line that we cross where we just worry too much about what people think. And it causes us to get stuck. We, we get stuck in other people's expectations for us. Um, and we get stuck in our own mind of, like, what if, or what if it doesn't work, what if it doesn't pan out, what if I'm not good enough. And so you're either stuck in your own head or you're stuck in other people's expectations. What if we stepped away from other people's definition and expectation of ourselves and we just tried? What an amazing concept that would be. So... Um, talk to us about the six simple shifts. Now, we're not going to give them the whole book because, you know, they need to buy the book to get that. But um, let's, what's, uh, what's your favorite simple shift that a person can make to begin to move into making it happen? I believe um, picking a favorite is hard. <laughs> um, but if I had to pick one to highlight right now, it would be shift number three. And um, shift number three is a big one, is ignore the crowd. And the reason that one is one of my favorites is because um, I do talk about um, Zacchaeus. I talk about um, a character from a very popular book. And um, this guy had a, a reputation with people that wasn't so good. 
You know, people had thoughts about him. They had thoughts about the work he did. They had thoughts about some of the things um, that had gone on in his past. They knew some things about him. But this particular man was so desperate one day, Steve. He got to that point where he woke up that morning knowing that he had to have an encounter. And I believe that's what happens with all of us. We wake up one day and we know something has to change now. I need an encounter. I need an encounter with destiny. I need an encounter with this one person or this one situation that's going to change my life forever because I can't, it can't stay the same. And so um, what I talk about in that shift is just getting to the point where this guy, um, the story talks about how he runs ahead of the crowd and he climbs up in a tree and he's waiting for the person he needs to see. And I like people to just kind of imagine what if, you know, all of us have people who inspire us. You know, there are people that are going to be at Speaking Right this year, and they cannot wait to walk up to you and Kathy and meet you and, and share in person. And that's how it was for Zacchaeus. He needed an encounter, and his encounter was with this man. And it was like, I know if I could talk to him, my life is going to be different. And the story goes on to say that while he was up in the tree and people were telling him to get down and, you know, stop making a scene and everything, the person he wanted to see looked up at him and said, hey, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house today. And that is a powerful, powerful piece for me because somebody needs destiny to visit them today. Somebody needs opportunity to visit their house. Somebody needs a financial shift to visit their house. And so whatever it is that you need, you have to get in a place where you do what Zacchaeus did. You ignore the crowd. You forget about what people are suggesting. Um, you ignore them trying to, like, smother your plans and, and what you um, are trying to do, and you go for it. Mm. What a great thing if we just go for it. Um, you know, and I, I love that story. Um, I'm always saying here on the show, you know, the thing about it is, is regardless of your religious background, your personal beliefs, um, the Bible is a powerful book because there's some stuff in there that regardless of what you believe, if you really read it and really listen to it, it can make some serious differences in your life. So um, I appreciate you bringing out that story in a, in a dynamic and powerful way that makes sense to, to anybody, no matter where they are in life. Yep, sir. So simple shifts. Um, I think one of the things that caught my attention in it is it's not like you... Uh, you know, invented something brand new, you know, like, oh, I've never thought of, you know, that thing, but it was that simple concept, but then actually doing them. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the difference between knowing and doing, I guess is the best way of saying it? Okay, um, I think that, um, I'm trying to think how could I answer that, because Again, it goes back, for me, it goes back to a mindset. It goes back to where that person is individually because you can give people information. We get powerful information every day. I work with parolees um, for the state of Illinois and kind of getting them back on track every day. And each week we do um, different groups, and this is the best way I could explain it. And one of those groups is called Stages of Change. And I have to ask some questions in there. And everyone who comes through these intro groups every Thursday gets the same information. They get the same layout. I ask the same questions. They're presented with the same opportunity to shift their lives. But the difference is 
the mindset of each individual person. Some of them successfully complete that program within a short amount of time, and they're out of there, while some of them stay with me for nine months almost an entire year or until their parole expires because we individually have to make a decision. Like we get we get the same opportunities and make it happen. You're going to get the same simple shift. The only difference is you have to decide. The only way it will work is if you decide to put it into action. And so I think it's a personal decision. I think it's, um, it's what's your 20? Where are you? Are you really ready for it? Because when you're ready for something, you again, you go for it. When you're ready, you're out there. You don't care. You're not worried about anything. You just go. So if you were to be able to go back, because I know you've worked in uh, in social work in different aspects for like, what is it, like 25 or 30 years now, right? At least 15 or 20, yes, sir. 15 or 20 years, yeah. Um, if you were to be able to go back um, before you started your career and you mm -hmm. could give yourself one life-changing piece of advice, what piece of advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? I would um, probably tell myself to leap sooner. I'm writing this book because um, Kathy asked us when we're going through the process of, you know, pulling the story out and putting it together, she asked the question, what shortcuts can you offer to other people or would you have offered to yourself before now? And mine would be leap sooner. I want people to get these six shifts because I don't want them to waste the time that I wasted. I feel like at 40 years old, um, there are some things that I could have gotten done at 30. And we say stuff like that, and it's like, no, you know, you're right on time, and God has a plan for you, and so on and so forth. And you're absolutely right, but I believe that fear um, hesitation, second-guessing yourself, low self-esteem in some areas, different experiences, all those things just kind of rob us of time, Steve. And so if I could speak back to myself, you know, earlier, I would say leave sooner. I've, I've been knowing. I used to tell them when I was nine years old, people are going to pay to hear me talk. I got in trouble in school for talking a lot. Like, I'm always, I always have some advice, even if you're not asking me for it. You know, as an adult, I've learned how um, to be <laughs> uh, more tactful about sharing. But when you're a young person and when you're younger, you just put it out there. And I always knew that some of the things I'm doing now I was destined to do, but I allowed other things to slow me down. So um, I would say to my younger self, I would say to whoever's listening to us today, leap now, leap soon. Um, don't waste any time. Don't lose any time because this is amazing, um, the life I'm living right now. I always warn people, it's like, look out if you get a couple ministers on the radio here because we could just go off. <laughs> yes, sir. While you were talking, I was thinking, you know, because you were talking about the, you know, God's perfect timing kind of a thing. Um, and I was thinking of the story of Joseph. I don't yeah. really, I personally have a personal belief system that says, I don't think God's perfect plan for Joseph was for him to be sold into slavery. I think he had a much cleaner, um, you know, clearer way of getting Joseph into Egypt without having yeah. to be sold into slavery and go to jail and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But he had a plan, and at the end of the day, that plan was going to come out. No matter what his brothers did, no matter what, you know, Potiphar's wife did, um, that plan's yeah. going to come together, you know, 
like your advice about you know leaping sooner because yes 20 years from now you'll still be in god's perfect timing and it'll still happen but you know 20 years ago you could have made that leap and there was a perfect plan that didn't necessarily have to drag you through all that stuff before mm -hmm. you know, to you know be in there next to you know next to pharaoh that kind of thing you are getting me like super excited first of all um there's another book in me and joseph is my favorite Bible character, and I'll get to tell you about that book later. Uh, but the thing is, with with the example that you just gave, I believe God had a cleaner version too. But the other thing we forget to factor in is that we all have freedom of choice, and just Him releasing what He saw, you know, just Him putting it out there in the atmosphere. I I kind of touch on that in the book that it's intimidating for other people to know that you're a dreamer. It's intimidating for other people to know that you have purpose and you're actually going to move on it. You ever been walking with someone and they like, you know, if you're just walking through the mall with your wife or something, and it's like, Steve, just slow down a little bit. You know, you want to get in there and shop and get out. And Kathy's kind of looking and browsing, and it's like, honey, slow down. But that's how some people are in our lives. And I believe for Joseph, the people around him, um, once they – heard the uh, Bible says that his brothers hated him like to the third degree it was three different times they said and they hated him more and it was simply because he was full of purpose and so you have to be courageous and um, and bold to walk in in purpose and destiny well and I think that's a good tip for people too is make it happen uh, you know yeah somebody comes up and and they are, you know, are naysayer. They hate you because you're making it happen. Just make it happen anyway. You know, don't change yourself because somebody else is jealous or angry or they don't see it or what have you. Yeah. So let's give people, uh, you know, something really practical that they can latch a hold of, take action on right now. Like, you know, they can finish listening to this episode of the show and they can be like, I could do that. What's an action that a person could take right now to make it happen? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, uh, <laughs> the first thing I would say is um, to, to make sure you get a copy of Make It Happen. <laughs> <laughs> because that's going to be your that's going to be your pocketbook. That's going to be your bookmark or your reminder as you go throughout the year. That that was my intention of doing it early this year, um, so that some someone has like a companion uh, pocketbook to just kind of reference and look back at. Because um, uh, a lot of times we need like a roadmap or a guide, or sometimes it's not going to be anyone else there because it's lonely when you're making it happen. Um, sometimes you're going to be doing this by yourself, but you need little reminders, and I want to be there for you um, in book form or on your device to say, hey, you got this. You know, you can do this, and I don't care how difficult it might look or how scared you are. Um, you can make it happen. That's the first thing. And then the second thing I would say is um, the advice I would have given my, my younger self, leap now. I don't care if it looks impossible, if it looks hard, if it looks overwhelming, it's probably the right thing to do because um, we're destined for greatness. We're designed, uh, you know, with greatness in mind. And um, you, you're more than just an everyday person. I believe each and every one of us has purpose. Each and every one of us um, has 
something amazing on the inside of us. And if you leap now, you won't waste any time manifesting that. And I agree with you completely. The first thing you need to do to make it happen in your life is to get your copy of Make It Happen by K Monique. Again, let me spell that for you. It's K. And then second word, M-O-N-E-A-K. Get it on Amazon today. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and, and just really uh, sharing some ways that people can make it happen today. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. What are the things that you're going to focus on that you're going to say today, I'm going to make it happen? What are the things that you could do that would help you to live as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. All right. We are so excited today to talk about one of the things that as entrepreneurs can be the most difficult, and that's our physical bodies, the, the nutrition, the food we take in. Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but I know for myself, often food is kind of that thing that you get to the end of the day and then you're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to eat? And then, you know, and then you don't eat well, right? Come on, let's be honest. We all do it. Um, and or, and I love this topic. Our guest today is Trisha Nelson from Heal Your Hunger. And she talks about this thing called emotional eating. And I want to bring her in. Hi, Trisha. How are you today? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Emotional eating is, I remember hearing about it when I was younger, you know, like a teenager, and I and I didn't get it. You know, I was like, no, people don't really emotionally eat, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> uh, as I get older, I realize how much we do eat our feelings. Um, so tell us first a little bit about uh, yourself and, and why this is so important to you. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of a strange concept when I first heard about it as well. I thought it was really silly. Um, my sister came home one day and she announced that she was an emotional eater. And, and I thought that's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I just like food. So that was the, that was my uh, through line for a long, long time. I just like food. And, uh, problem was I didn't like being overweight. And I was as a kid, I grew up chubby and I had a weight problem and I hated 
ate it and I had this big roll on my tummy. I was scrunched up and imagined cutting off or I wanted to get some disease that made me automatically lose weight without my trying or, or going, you know, I thought about going to the army where they'd force me to exercise at boot camp. So these crazy, you know, kind of far out ideas about what to do about my weight because I hated being overweight, but, you know, I needed my food. So it was never a question of eating less. It was more like what to do to lose weight, which I think is what most people, you know, end up facing is they want to get the weight off. So they think of these, these, and they do these crazy things. Um, but that's, you know, the weight is really a symptom and it certainly was for me. And it wasn't until uh, many years later that I, I learned uh, finally that I was an emotional eater. I was able to face it and see that, you know what, there's not, you know, the way I eat isn't, isn't the way a lot of people around me eat. I mean, I go out to lunch with friends and they'd have a burger and, you know, with fries and they'd eat their burger and pick up their fries. I'd eat my fries and pick up my burger. So it was always, uh, you know, an obsession for me. I always like to say my favorite food groups were sugar, fat, and starch. (laughs) So, um, you know, that's kind of how I rolled. But, um, the weight really is what got my attention. And, and so what I realized after trying so many weight loss, um, schemes and, you know, pills and potions and lotions, I really did finally address, you know, why I was overeating, what was eating me. And that's really where the freedom came from. And I was able to lose the 50 pounds I was carrying and keep it off. And so my mission in life is really to help people heal their hunger because it's not just a hunger for food. The hunger goes much deeper and, that's really what I'm here to do. I know for myself, and I'm sure many people, um, you know, because we've heard it, it's not like it's a new thing, but it's, uh, you know, there's something behind why you're gaining weight and that kind of thing. But I'm not sure that I personally have ever heard anybody really uh, explain, so how do you find out what that thing is? So, do you have a, I know it's a big field, but do you have a quick version of how we begin to discover what is that thing that's causing us to, to overeat to eat from? Yes, absolutely. You know, I've been doing this work for 30 years now, and uh, what I whittle it down to, just as a, as a quick version, um, is I call it the PEP test, um, Steve, and this is uh, PEP. Is an, uh, it stands for the first P stands for painkiller. So I was using food in a destructive way, and I mean binging, you know, sneaking food, hiding food, um, snacking all day, you know, all the different machinations, you know, around overeating and 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 aberrant e- eating. I was doing, and and the reason was really because I was using food as a painkiller. So I had pain, and this is what I see across. The board for all the different people you know uh, that we have worked with, and food is used as a painkiller because we do have emotional eaters have pain. Typically, we have abuse in our past, Um, and when I say emotional eater, I'm really talking about people who struggle. You know, anybody who struggles with weight chronically is typically an emotional eater. You know, that's why they can't keep the weight off. That's why 98% of all diets fail. You know, people aren't looking at the fact that it's really emotional eating that's the crux of the problem. But anyway, if somebody is an emotional eater, typically they do have, you know, things in their past that were troubling or traumatic, and they started using food uh, as an anesthetic to kill that that emotional pain. So I say uh, the first P in PEP is painkiller. We also use food, um, E stands for escape. So we use food as a form of escape, you know, uh, especially busy entrepreneurs, you know, we're, we're moving very fast. 
we're out there, we're, we're getting things done. Um, we're, we, you know, overeaters are typically overdoers, so we're doing a lot in the world. Uh, we've got a lot on our plate, so to speak. And so basically, um, you know, life becomes hard and uh, oftentimes, you know, it, it becomes overwhelming and we just want to escape. It's sort of like, um, you know, I don't know if it was the 70s, I think it was in the 70s, I'm totally dating myself here, but there was a, um, a commercial for a bubble bath named Calgon, and there was this commercial where the woman's in the bathtub, and she's like, Calgon, take me away, you know, or she just escapes the world in her bubble bath. Well, that's how I was with food, and I would escape, uh, try to escape the pressures of life, and also my fears, you know, I was overwhelmed, and I was worrying, and I was feeling like, the, you know, I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders, and so I would use food as a form of escape. And the last uh, P in the PEP test is uh, punishment. So I was using food as a form of punishment. And this is typically not what somebody thinks of when they think of food. They think of food as reward. You know, I'm going to get my favorite cookies, my favorite ice cream, sit down in front of my favorite, you know, bingeable uh, TV show, and I'm going to go to town and, and I'm going to just, you know, treat myself. And um, But the problem is the next day, it's not so much of reward, you know, I mean, we, we are, our pants are tight, we feel bloated, we feel sick, you know, um, we have stains on our sweater from a binge, and we don't want to visit with friends, so we cancel, our, you know, our social uh, engagements, and that's not a reward, that is punishment, and so we don't always look at that, we just look at the reward factor, but the aftermath is definitely a form of punishment, and we do that on account of guilt, and emotional eaters are very sensitive, we have deep feelings, and we also are very prone to guilt, and more than your average person, and so that guilt drives us to punish ourselves with food, and food, as I said, is a double-edged sword, it's a reward, but it's also really the best way we could possibly beat ourselves up, and so that PEP test is sort of my quick version of how somebody can start to identify what's really going on when they have food cravings, when they find themselves, you know, with, with the lid off and going all the way with the ice cream, it's really um, one of these things, it's pain, it's fear or overwhelm, and it's guilt, and that's what's really going on underneath. Now, you can flesh that out a whole lot more, I mean, there's a whole lot more to it, obviously, but that's kind of a quick check somebody can do to start to see, wow, it's not just a matter of me liking food, there is more driving these cravings and these behaviors. So is it, it's any one of those three, it isn't necessarily all three of them? Um, no, I mean, it can be all three, um, or it can just be one. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to it's hard to separate them all out, you know, I mean, and, and I'll tell you kind of why, and that's that, let's say somebody does feel overwhelmed in life, and they have been taking on too many things, well, very typical for emotional eaters, I have, um, in, you know, in, in my book and in my program, I talk about the anatomy of the emotional eater, and these are 24 personality traits um, that really make up the emotional eater because it's not emotional eating isn't just about eating too much or or craving the wrong foods. It's really about the way we show up in life. And emotional eaters are typically people pleasers, and so oftentimes our desire to please um, and ends up 
backfiring on us because we're never, you know, people are never pleased to the extent that we think they should be after all the work we did to try to get them to be pleased. So we end up, you know, taking on too much. That's where the sense of overwhelm comes from. That's what happens, you know, when we try to escape in food. We're escaping, you know, those uh, feelings that came about really from uh, doing too much, taking on too much, trying to please. But the pleasing uh, nature of the emotional eater often comes from pain from their past. So typically, if somebody uh, grew up with an alcoholic parent, it's very easy to become a people pleaser because you're trying to placate the parents. You're trying to, you know, make make peace. You're trying to make sure, you know, you, you, you as a small child, you're doing this juggling act of trying to make everybody happy. And then you become... You just, it's like built into your, your nature to be a people pleaser. And that creates that sense of overwhelm that, that then you want to escape from. So you see where, where I'm going with this, where they're all intertwined because it is such a deep issue and it's deep rooted and started, you know, way back when in our childhood. overcome the weight and it's something new and it's obviously a lifestyle that you've embraced and are doing a good job with. Um, how long have you, uh, you know, overcome your emotional um, well, I got help literally 30 years ago. I can't even believe it's been that long. But I was young. I tried many, many different things. You know, as I said, I'd been around the block and tried so many. And not just pills, potions, and lotions. But I went to therapy, eating disorders therapy. I went to 12-step programs. So I did a lot. read all the self-help books. Um, but thankfully, you know, I, I did a lot of research early. So I got help at a, at a very young age. So um, uh, I'm 50 now. So so I was uh, 21, actually, when I got help. Well, shout out to all of us that are in our 50s now. So. <laughs> well, um, so if you could go back to the 16, 17, 18-year-old version of yourself um, and tell her something that you've learned over the course of the last 30 years, that you, you know how it is, hindsight's 2020. You only wish Yeah. You what would you say to her? Oh my gosh, it's such a good question. I, I think I would sit her down and look her in the eyes and, you know, very loving, lovingly say, what are you afraid of? You know, let's take a look at that. Because I had so much fear, Steve. I, you know, I, I was very, I mean, I went to top-notch college. I, I was president of my school in high school. I was, you know, captain of a sports team. I mean, I did lots of things. I was very ambitious, and yet I was driven by fear, and the fear drove my eating behaviors. You know, I just was constantly nibbling, constantly, you know, looking for something sweet. I was never satisfied with just, you know, my regular meal. I always had to top it off with something sweet. I mean, I just had that I mean, incredible sweet tooth and, and just that need for something more. And that came from a much deeper place than, you know, obviously from the physical. And I was afraid, you know, life from a very early age felt overwhelming to me. And I, you know, I didn't have anybody to really talk to about the fears or even explore those fears. So, um, you know, and it's so vital in order, you know, 98% of all diets fail because people are just attacking it from the physical because they're not, you know, they're not encouraged to go deeper and to really look at what that hunger really is. So that's so much what I wish I had had 
is somebody to hold my hand and say, let's take, you know, like, let's take a little journey inside and see what's really going on and, and what we can do, you know, and, and, and there's so many simple tools that people can do to actually help alleviate that stress and that anxiety that so many of us feel. And um, I wish I'd had those tools, you know, at that age. Fortunately, I learned them pretty soon after, but definitely as a young person, I think everybody needs that. So I think it's a perfect segue into the next part that we want to talk about, and that is all too often we hear these kind of things, and, and then we're just kind of like, okay, I've identified, now I'm an emotional eater, now what? <laughs> you know, so talk to us about you know, one or two practical things that a person who is, you know, like raising their hand going, yeah, okay, you got me, this is me, um, that they can start doing right now to begin to address this issue and have some success. Yeah, well, I'd say the, the first thing is if, some, if somebody isn't quite sure, you know, whether they're an emotional eater or how bad of an emotional eater they are, I think that's an important place to start because somebody's solution is going to depend on where they are on the spectrum. You know, I see it as a spectrum between emotional eating and food addiction. And I myself was not only an emotional eater, I went all the way with it to food addiction. Um, and I do a free quiz on my um, website that maybe you can provide for people that um, the URL so they can take the quiz because that will help them determine like how much of about an about phase they need to do. But for anybody, wherever they are in the spectrum, I would definitely, you know, say that, and especially for busy entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurism just sort of lends itself to overeating, you know, because the stress is so great when you, you know, you are carrying a burden of your own business on your shoulders. And so um, I think it's really important that people adopt a self-care plan, like a self-care blueprint. I mean, we all know we need self-care, but a lot of times it falls by the wayside when we're busy and we're, you know, juggling so many uh, balls in the air. And I just say that, you know, the more time you take for um, setting up your day for success, whether it be meditation or prayer or reading spiritual literature or writing in a journal, you know, these things are all self-care tools that can help you really um, just establish a sense of peace and a sense of centeredness um, that you can that will give you strength to draw from throughout the day because so much time we overeat because we're just we're stressed and we're looking for that quick fix that can give us that extra boost to energy. Well, we have to intentionally give ourselves that in a new form, and that can, um, you know, be the form that starts first thing in the morning with some kind of centeredness activities. So I'd say that's a, a really important thing. And, and another thing is not doing it all, you know, getting help, whether it be help in the house, you know, from other family members or help with some aspect of your life that isn't your skill set. Uh, you know, whether it's the accounting or the, um, you know, some other thing that you hate to do and you're slogging through that you need that extra boost of energy for, you know, can you delegate that? Where where can you get some help with that so it isn't all on your shoulders and you aren't, you know, overwhelmed and then reaching for food for a quick fix of energy? And the best website for them to go to is healyourhunger.com? Yep. Yep, they can access that quiz right there on the homepage. I do encourage you 
to check out HealYourHunger.com, Trisha Nelson. She also has a book. Trisha, what's your book called? It's called Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now, and it's on Amazon. Thanks so much, Trisha, for spending some time with us today and helping us with one of the most important aspects of taking care of ourselves so we can continue to do good. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Let's all make it a point to take good care of ourselves, to take care of our bodies, to live a healthy lifestyle, not something crazy, not something out of this world, but just simple day-to-day taking care of your kind of yourself kind of things so that you can live as a thriving entrepreneur. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Here we are again at the end of another episode. You know, I was thinking as I was listening to that commercial break, um, I don't know how many of you saw reruns. I'm not old enough to have seen it live. That was actually my dad's generation. But the original Mickey Mouse Club, do you remember when they were like, now it's time to say goodbye to all our company? You know, and, and it was kind of that... I remember as a child, you know, I was like, oh no, the Mickey Mouse Club is over and now they won't be on until next week. You know, back in the old days when we had to watch shows live and there was only three stations to choose from. You know, you remember that, don't you? Um, and we're, you know, reaching that point again here at the end of another great episode that I hope really leaves you feeling empowered to make things happen into your life, to take control of your physical body, to take control of your health in a way that is healthy for you. Not to just be on some weird, crash, crazy diet that, you know, works for you now and then doesn't. Um, You know, I know we had one of the guests on the show. She said that one of her trainers early on taught her, um, if you're going to go on a diet, just determine how much weight do you want to gain back plus after the end of the diet, you know, and so we want to live healthy. We want to live in a really dynamically powerful, positive place because there's so much that you have to share with the world. So much. I think a lot of times, and I know, I know my audience well enough. I know that sometimes you really discount yourself You don't give yourself enough credit for how amazing you are. 
and how needed you are, how much the world needs you, needs your message. You see, it's so easy to look at guests that have been on the show before, you know, Matthew Knowles, Lisa Nichols, Jennifer Kim, uh, you know, Ernie Villanueva, Dr. Donald Joy, who's, you know, like almost 90 now, you know, um, and all the amazing things they've done. You know, Dr. Joy's almost at 50 books that he's written, and that's if he hasn't written any in the last couple of years, um, you know, and it can seem so overwhelming uh, because they're so far ahead. But what we have to understand is there's somebody that's looking right now at where you are, that what you do with grace and ease, and they're just as overwhelmed by doing that in their own life. They're amazed that you show up and do what you do so well. And what they need is tips. They need help with where they are currently in life. And there's no way better than to begin the relationship with them by sharing a little bit about who you are, by putting out a book. You see, a lot of us wanna, uh, you know, and I, I was raised, you know, with the ministerial background to, you know, you wanna kinda live in that ivory tower of near perfection because after all, who would wanna listen to somebody who's imperfect? But the truth of the matter is, as we share our struggles, we then connect with people who are like, oh, I don't feel so much bad about myself now because I see that there's somebody else that's struggling and going through that as well. And the best thing you can do is write a book. And as long as you're writing a book, sharing your life and what you've learned so far from where you are, why not write a bestseller? Why not take the time to write the book, but then also make that book a bestseller. That journey is so easy to start. All you got to do is join us at bestsellersguild.com. It's a free Facebook group. We would love to have you. Great family and community there that are going to share with you, invest in you, because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose. As, as Tia Ross would say, with a purpose on purpose. And what I need you to understand is the world needs you. They need what you have to share. So please join us at bestsellersguild.com. Please commit yourself to writing that book, to making it happen in your life, to make that needlepoint shift in your own life, but then share it with others so that they too can live as a thriving entrepreneur. Because I want you to understand, Kathy and I love you, and we want to see you live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. Until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time.
You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today.